You are listening to Let's Talk Trio on podcast. Keep up with the latest episodes by downloading the Podbean app or stream episodes via our social media accounts. Search for Let's Talk Trio on Facebook or Instagram. This episode is sponsored by Student Access. Student Access, the leader in Trio software. Student Access is an online database solution that allows TRIO programs to track their students' information, connect with students by text messages, streamline the APR, and work from anywhere, all online, with automatic updates for changes from the Department of Education. Their technical support team includes former TRIO staff and has over 50 years of combined experience working with TRIO. Make it easier to focus on your priority, the students. For more information and to request a free demo, visit their website at www.studentaccess.com or call them toll-free at 1-800-801-1232. That website again is www.studentaccess.com or 1-800-801-1232. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on your social media by tapping that share button. This is a great way to support the podcast. Now here's your host, Juan Rivas. Thank you, Amelia, for that wonderful introduction. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. In this episode, we have Jeff Calden, director of the Trio Upper Bound Program at Weatherford College in Weatherford, Texas. Jeff is in the program to talk to us about his experiences being a Trio Upper Bound director, his journey through college, and his inspiration to work for Trio programs. So coming up in just a bit, Jeff Calden. It was great to sit down with Jeff and talk about his experiences in college and what inspired him to continue onto the path of Trio and education overall. And I think Weatherford College is certainly benefiting benefiting from someone that is very knowledgeable about TRIO and is very passionate about working with students. And generally, every TRIO program runs a little bit differently to accommodate their students and accommodate the communities they serve. So we want to thank Jeff for taking a moment out of his life. And I know they're super busy right now in the middle of this whole summer and uh, upward bound. This is where it gets really busy for them. So thank you, Jeff, for taking some time out from your busy schedule to talk to us. Remember, listeners, if you'd like to be featured on Let's Talk TRIO, you can drop us a message on Facebook or Instagram. Thank you all very much for all the support that you're giving us. You can sponsor Let's Talk Trio through Patreon. Thank you to all the essential workers out there who are keeping the world running. Thank you. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Five, four, three, two, one. My next guest on the podcast is a person that studied agricultural services and development at Tarleton State University and also received his master's there. Formerly worked for the Trio Upward Bound Program at Tarleton State University and was their first director at the University of Arkansas at Fort Smith. He took a brief hiatus and then returned as the director for the Trio Upward Bound Program at Weatherford College. And he's been there for about 16 years. I want to welcome Jeff Calden to the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you very much, Juan. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. The honor is all on this end. We were having just a pre-show conversation about COVID-19 and how that's impacted a lot of Upward Bound programs. Uh, You said you were getting that different type of tired and that different type of environment virtually. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, you know, it's for for me. It's summer sixteen, summer summer number twenty three, twenty two, somewhere in there. I, I, you lose count after a while. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's you know we're we're staying busy, but it's a lot more virtual busyness than it is having to be at a certain place or having to make sure someone's in the right place or anything like that. So it's a lot more phone calls, a lot more emails, a lot more uh, trying to figure out why someone's not responding, uh, and then yeah. also. Trying to play, uh, trying to play IT with some of our students because they needed oh a gosh. laptop or whatever. So it's like, hey, yeah. uh, why isn't this working? And so you know, I had that conversation today, and so we kind of had to walk through step by step on that. Yeah. And how is you? How are you and your family holding up in the in the midst of COVID nineteen? Um, well, now that school is officially over for my kids, um, you know they're they're getting along fine. Um, you know, we, we work from the kitchen table at our house for, I don't think we haven't, we haven't eaten many meals at the kitchen table uh, up until recently because 
we were mm-hmm. both working on the desk and it's like, I'm not going to oh, pull sure. down my laptop and everything just to go back and do that. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, that my kids, they would do their work and they turn and then most of the afternoon it was whatever, you know, whatever chores or whatever we needed to do. But then, you know, now that school's officially out, it's, it's probably going to change just a little bit, but you know, the state of Texas is opening up again. So we're getting a chance to do a little bit more now as far as our, my own family. Right on. So it sounds like Texas is is starting to do that. Is it a soft open or hard open? You're all are uh, ready to just kind of business uh, as usual? Well, um, the restaurants, I think, get to move up to 50% open now uh, as far as, and then, uh, uh, just depends on what your business is as far as it's either going to be 50% or 75%. Uh, so, I mean, there's things that are open. There's still lots of social distancing and they want you to wear a mask and things of that nature. But, uh, and then, you know, even some of the sports stuff, you know, cause a lot of these high schools have off season workouts and they're going to have, they're going to have even some restrictions to that. But a lot of those will start next week. Yeah. So, but like a lot of campuses, college campuses, yeah, they're, they're not open, uh, especially like our campus is not open to people except for very few limited. Uh, and I think it just depends on where you live and how close you live to, uh, you know, an epicenter or where the pandemic is a little bit more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know that we're connected on Facebook. And when I put out right. the call for people to see if they want to be on the podcast, you were all for it. And I remember uh, it was a while back ago, you were on the radio program that we right. have for at Eastern New Mexico University. And it was such a huge honor then, and now it's a huge honor now to have you on the podcast where we'll be able to publish uh, your, your interview. And this is really exciting for us. And I feel that you have a lot to share with the audience. But overall, um, yeah, how, how, overall yeah. how have you been? Uh, it's really good to see you. And overall, how, how are you? How have you been? Uh, I've been good. It's, you know, we've, this whole, once the, the, the COVID, like, you knew it was getting real when, um, you know, when COE said we can't do, uh, can't do policy. So that was kind of moved to virtual and then everything started just from there. It was like, okay, that's canceled. That's canceled. You know, those, those things kind of there for a while, you're kind of like, Oh, what are, you know, how's this going to work? And so, mm-hmm. and like many things because of this pandemic, you know, we've been able to make some changes, some good, some that we're going to, you know, use probably going forward from here on out. But um, for me, it's, you know, uh, it, it was, I could, once I got used to it, it took a little bit because I'm one of those that like, I don't like to sit in at a desk all day. I need to get up mm-hmm. and move around or go see something or, or at least get a break. So mm-hmm. that was a little different to spend like the whole day at home and like never get to go anywhere <laughs> for a while. So, um, but it's, it's, it's better now as, as this, I mean, as the summer is getting here, we're able to at least get out and, um, and do things. And while our summer with upper bound will be virtual, we're still hoping to have some face to face and we're able to get some supplies out to them this week. So we were able to see them face to face as well. So. Absolutely. I know with a lot of Upward Bound programs that you all get ready with Upward Bound practically six months before, or even sometimes a year before, right? Um, Generally did, start like January. Right. So did, did this semester after the spring semester had completed and in, in the midst of, of COVID-19, was it a little bit kind of trickier to plan? Did it feel like it just kind of fell on top of you or do you, were you, did you feel like your staff was very well prepared? Um, you know, so we had already kind of put in place an online system. Uh, we had done this last year already uh, because if a student say missed a week for upper bound or, or missed a Saturday session, we have an online classroom through, I'm sure y'all have something like uh, canvas or blackboard yeah, yeah. or one of those. So we have our own canvas classrooms that we already had set up. So all we really had to do is go in and, and change and tweak it to where it was more summer related. So that part wasn't as hard to do. Um, the, the part that we had to really kind of figure out was how were we going to offer teaching where we had some talking to them and, 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 you know, we, that was part of our initial trying to get those things set up. Um, but, but my staff, um, you know, we have two counselors and myself and then we, you know, of course, then we have summer teachers and a lot of our summer instructors came back from years past. So that helps out a lot, but they already have a relationship with the kids. Um, and then instead of having RAs, which we would have had 
two returning RAs. Um, we we hired them back, and we you know, on and they're called PAs, so we're peer advisors. So they're doing all the social and fun stuff, mm-hmm. so that we as upper bound staff don't have to do that. So it's it's uh, it's different, but you know, luckily they are college kids too, so they understand kind of what was taken from them. So they're trying to make it just as much fun, although you can do it at home. That is awesome. Your, wherever your Zoom meeting is happening. Yeah. It sounds like you, then you were very well prepared that your staff, you you were already thinking about this ahead of time, whether or not we, COVID-19 was even going to hit. It was. We started We started talking about it kind of when it started. And once that kind of started looking the way, and you know, we kind of held out for having a uh, face-to-face, but eventually it was like, yeah, we're not going to get it. So we yeah. just had to say, let's move forward. Right on. Well, Jeff, that, that speaks volumes to you and to your program and how well per, you're prepared. Uh, I know I'm jumping around a little bit on the questions, but I'm going to ask this anyway. No. I know that I asked you earlier, how, how, how have you and your family handled it uh, as far as working from home? Uh, and I know you and your wife, you, you work very well together. And mm-hmm. that, uh, that must have been at least uh, a new experience for both of you. Uh, it was very different because we soon realized we had to time our Zoom meetings or our webinars or whatever we had as far as talking back and forth. We had to time them where one wasn't doing the same at the same time uh-huh. or one of us would have to go to a different room uh, because we would just be over-talking each other. Oh, my gosh. You know, so if someone's talking over here. Like, she was – like, Matt, I'm sitting at this end of the table and she's sitting at the other end of the table. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay – and so, you know, that part was a little different. We had to figure out how that would work. And eventually we were like, we were before we'd ever schedule something like, okay, do you have something at this time? So that way we wouldn't have to, so yeah. we wouldn't have to, to be in each other's way. Awesome. So um, it's not like really good open communication, making sure that the other person knew. Um, yeah. Okay. It took about a week or two to figure it out, but yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So people have shared on social media a variety of skills they picked up from bread making all the way to other skills that they've picked up. Um, for you, did you did you have a chance to develop or work on any certain skills? Uh, I worked on cleaning out stuff. Cleaning out stuff. Uh, right on. You know, I, uh, I forgot the name of the lady, but like where you go through and try to clean stuff up and, you know, I, I you know, my yard looks a lot better now. Uh, oh, I that's spend, cool. I spent... I spend a lot more time outside doing that kind of stuff because it's like I've always wanted to clear this out or change yeah. some, something up or or clean something up. So like, like one, you know, you know, during it's like okay, I'll work for an hour or two, and then I'm like, all right, go outside for a little bit and come back. So it just depends. But like for me, it was you know I I've got all this stuff I need to get rid of. So let's start. Let's make a point to to haul this off or or throw this in the trash or whatever. And you know we we've done that uh, a lot. And for me, that's kind of my, I guess, uh, skill per se. It was that's really awesome. just trying to make some headway. Cause I mean, that's, that's what a lot of people is like, you know, our lawns are looking a lot better now and, <laughs> right. you know, and, and trees are trimmed and, and, you know, uh, I hauled off a trailer load full of s- scrap metal that just been sitting there. So it's like, all right, you know, we're going to, you know, things are getting cleaner because we can't go anywhere. We're not going anywhere. So, it makes it, you know, may as well take care of where you're living at. Absolutely. It's important. Right. And you took the time, yeah. right. that you're able to work from home to do all that. So that's amazing. Yeah. So kudos now my to daughter you. was the one who's like baking cookies all the time. So. <laughs> that must've been tempting uh, to hear, to smell uh, the cookies and. Well, I'll let you in on a secret. She eats more dough than she bakes. So <laughs> she just wants to eat the dough. <laughs> the dough is good. I, I will say my daughter has also taken up some hobby of, co- of uh, baking uh, she mm-hmm. wants to bake uh, cakes, cookies, and everything under the sun. It's like, let's try it. I'm like, all right, I guess we'll go for it. Yeah. Um, so I've had to learn a little bit of, of some baking. And, uh, and but I, I mean, I would imagine like up there, like it was here, there for a while, flour was in high demand. So you, oh, could, yeah. you couldn't find it. So it's like, all right, what are we going to figure out today? <laughs> we need to work on something else uh, for sure. Uh, so Jeff, in this podcast, as you probably either listened to some before or even in the radio program, uh, we really like listening to a person's origin story. So we really wanted to get to know you and how you started your educational path and you went to college and then from there to, to work in trio. So can you tell, tell us a little bit about your origin story? Um, so I grew up in a small little town called Weimar, Texas. Um, it's about 
in between, it's about 85 miles west of Houston. So it's in between Houston and San Antonio. Uh, a lot of people are like, I've never heard of it. I'm like, well, if you've ever driven from Houston to San Antonio, you've driven right through it. Mm. And a lot of people go, oh, yeah. And then I just tell them like a, a landmark that's on the side there. And they're like, okay, yeah, I know where you're at. So <laughs> um, I uh, went to college at Charleston State University on a football scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to uh, get the chance to do that. So I went there uh, and, and, you know, college athletics, especially back then, uh, uh, it was the recruiting process wasn't as near as high tech as it is now. So, uh, but uh, got to go up there and that's when Tarleton was moving up from the NAIA to the NCAA division two. Oh, so, yeah. uh, so we were playing NAI and division two. And so, kind of a kind of a mixed schedule um and it was it was their first jump into it and and I think the money part of athletics hadn't come along yet so there was a lot of us on partial scholarships or things of that nature so they were building uh the program so um the coach there uh he nice fella uh we we went three and seven my first year and we went uh one ten and one my second year. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so wow. needless to say, so needless to say, <laughs> he no longer was our coach after that year. Uh, that's going to happen, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I made the decision to not play for the next coach uh, mm-hmm. because once you learn a few things, like with athletics, it's like that four-year scholarship. While they say it's a four-year scholarship, they have the privilege of taking it or giving it to someone else. Or when a mm-hmm. new coach comes in, they can they can designate how the money goes. So I see. Um, it wasn't fun anymore. So I decided that this is the time for me to step away. Um, so, and so when I did that, I, I got more involved in school as far as activities. Uh, I was a part of uh, the admissions group. Uh, they call it Texan reps. It's like student admissions people. Uh, mm-hmm. I was a part of a couple other organizations and got involved with orientation and, um, I also figured out during that time I had to go learn how to go to class. Mm-hmm. Um, I got one of those letters like my sophomore year that said, if you don't figure out how to pass your classes, mm-hmm. then you don't get to come back next year. <laughs> so, so that was my, my lesson. And that's one of those things I tell the students all the time. And uh-huh. you know, that's, you know, you, you have to go to class. And so, so the long, I guess after my third, so every summer I would go home and work highway construction. Uh, and then do other things. So then I guess around about my junior year, I decided that I need to go to summer school if I'm going to graduate mm-hmm. anytime soon. Uh, right. So uh, along that way, I met uh, Jenny uh, Watts, who she is now the director for Upper Bound, but she was uh, an academic counselor at that time. She was taking some classes to basically get certified to teach Mm-hmm. And she said, you'd be good for our summer program. And I had blown her off a couple of times already. And I was like, I said, by the, by the time I knew I was going to stay for the summer, so tell me about this job. So, uh-huh. and so um, they said, you know, we don't have a position open for RA, but we have one called activities coordinator. You'd be great for it. Oh, wow. So activities yeah. coordinator is uh, more or less a good way of saying uh, glorified van driver. <laughs> so that's the activities coordinator is a glorified van driver as you said i drove a van and uh, i coached the volleyball team and uh-huh. i helped out wherever i could okay but you know they paid gave me a check and, and provided me free meals so i was good um, oh, that, i think anybody would be on board with that type of yeah. contract right so i would work upper bound for the first summer session and then i would work for orientation the second summer session so Okay. Her orientation was free room and board and a paycheck. So yeah, wow. all, all as well. Yeah. So I got to where, and so I was at Tarleton, I majored in agriculture service and development. Um, and what that basically means is that I was going to learn to be a teacher, uh, mm-hmm. to teach vocational agriculture. So, and then be a part of, uh, you know, with, with that is that you also have FFA. Um, so that was part of my background that I really enjoyed. And that's something that I wanted to do. So, um, so I, I did all that. And then each, then, uh, the su- next summer and the summer after that, I worked for upper bound and kind of did that same thing. But then I graduated a student, I did student teaching. I graduated, graduated in December. So there's not a whole lot of teaching jobs available in December that you really want to go to. 
Right, because a lot so of schools then, are in mid mid the mid mid of the year, and they're like, right, we really right. don't have any contracts or whatever. Yeah, that or you know, if someone left, kind of, or was asked to leave, or you know, you don't. There's not a whole lot of situations you want to step into, right. at least not in agriculture. Uh, so we, so I said, well, I'll go to, I'll, I'll start on my master's, and then there was a charter school in town that needed someone, so. I was, uh, I taught at a charter school, um, mm-hmm. there in town. It was an, it's an old dentist office, ironically. So it's not a really? big place. Yeah. And a lot of it was just the beginnings of online teaching and taking packets oh, and things like that. So yeah. like I taught, taught biology, chemistry, mm-hmm. uh, world geography, ag and, uh, PE. Oh, right. Okay. So, right on. Little variety there. Uh, a lot of yeah. these kids were, a lot of these kids were, kids who either the high school didn't want them anymore. You know, they, mm. they kind of wrote them off or this is a chance or like a last chance for some of these kids. So you saw a lot of kids who took advantage of it, but you also saw a lot of kids who were just there because to keep their probation officers happy and stuff like that. So, so you, you had to deal with some, I wouldn't say difficult, but more challenging students, students that were facing a lot of obstacles. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Okay. I mean, and it amazed me because it didn't matter what background they came from. Because some of these kids were, you know, their parents had had PhDs. Oh wow! And some of them came from, yeah, and some, and, and you know, you you wonder why sometimes they came to the school. But then there's other mm-hmm. kids who like. There are some some ladies who were who had gotten pregnant as a teenager, so they were just mm-hmm. trying to get their credit in, in a high school diploma and get out of there. And then there was others mm-hmm. who who you know, they were for lack of better terms, like social outcast or, or just didn't sure. fit in with their, their high school mantra where they were at. So, uh, but yeah, so we, I did a little bit of everything. I learned a lot there. Um, and then Upward Bound wrote this, uh, they wrote, uh, you back then with grants, they could write for additional monies or something would come up. So mm-hmm. Charlton had written that they would get an extra hundred thousand dollars for their grant. And they'd have to take 20 more kids that met certain criteria. And, uh, so during that time they said, well, you know, we need to hire another person. And then they said, well, would you be willing to come on? I was like, sure. So after a year and a half of the charter school in December, I moved over to, to work for Tarleton upper bound. Um, so, and then, um, so then that allowed me to take, get my master's done quicker because then I could Mm -hmm. take classes during the day as well. So, uh, so yeah, so then, got my master's in agriculture education just because it was easiest to just follow that path and didn't know how long this, you know, I didn't know if upper bound was going to be my path that it is now, but at the time it was like, okay, it's a job, it's, it's insurance, it's all that right. kind of good stuff. So, and then just glor- gr- along the way, I got more responsibilities with upper bound. I was, you know, by that time I could, I taught some classes, but then I also was in charge of uh, the RAs and stuff like that. So, right on. um, okay. and then, Worked there for three three years full time, and then I wanted to become a director. And I, my boss at the time, Jane, was not going anywhere. She she wasn't gonna, you know, retirement wasn't on her on her plate. She hadn't mentioned mm-hmm. it either. Yeah. So I looked for some positions, uh, interviewed, and I basically had a rule that I wanted to stay within at least a, like one of the states touching Texas. Yeah. Um. So. And University of Arkansas had got it as a new grant here that year. They got the grant. So I applied. I interviewed. Uh, so then December of 2003, I moved to Fort Smith, Arkansas. And mm-hmm. I was there for about two years. And then, um, you know, I learned a lot. But I also knew that there were some things that I wanted to do. And I needed to do them back in the home state. And so, um left education for a brief period and went to work for tractor supply company. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that that wasn't my cup. The, the agriculture part wasn't hard. It was the retail and the other stuff that just, it wasn't, it wasn't for me. Wasn't speaking to yeah. you. Right. Right on. So, okay. And may I point out that it's very Texan of you to want to stay in a state that still touches Texas. So I just wanted to point that out very, that that's super awesome. I know, you know that. I just felt like that was, I was still in the South too. So it allowed me to do that. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so you were two years at the university of Arkansas and at Fort Smith as a director, mm-hmm. you said you learned a lot. What experience, mm-hmm. and from what I understand at the very top of the show, we said 
you're the first director at uh, University of Arkansas, right? That was the very first. Yeah, that, time that, that was they the first tri- first trio program at University of Arkansas Fort Smith. Oh wow! I think now they have UBMS and they also have SSS. So you were in that cohort, or I don't want to call it a cohort, but in that group that when a university or a college gets an upward bound program grant or a trail grant, you had to execute it on your own or, or did you have some help or assistance with that? It was a lot of on my own. Wow. Um, I was the one who kind of knew about stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of a, and you, and you see this around too. Sometimes they write the grant, they don't realize what they got into. And <laughs> I think, well, I think they just didn't realize, they don't realize what all the all work goes into. It is probably right. what it would be better be said. So, so I helped. Uh, so yeah, so, you know, we had to develop forms. We had to recruit. And I came in in like December. Well, oh, wow. we had to figure out to get 40 kids or 50 kids within, you know, by May. Mm-hmm. So it was, and, and, and when you have a new program and I've, and I've seen it a lot of times when the new program comes in and they're like, you know, how do you get your kids? I said, well, if you can at least get a large chunk of them, but you know, for your first year, your second year won't be near as hard because the kids mm-hmm. who have good relate have good times will do the recruiting for you. And that's what happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so we, I think we had 45 kids, um, by May. And so we had a summer program and once that summer, you know, plus you had to find teachers and, and, and me not being from there, there sometimes really hurt me because I just had to rely on, you know, sometimes what people would, would tell me or, mm-hmm. you know, or suggest or whatever. So, um, so that, that part was really, you know, you had to learn how to trust some people as well. Absolutely. Um, and, but, you know, there were some great relationships started there. There were some of those kids, you know, are now, you know, in fact, one of them is their SSS director. Um, oh, wow. She was one of the, yeah. So, so, you know, he, and so I still see her once or twice a year at these conferences or whatever. And you know, so she's, cool. she's, you know, she's a great story. And then there's some of her classmates, you know, have done great things as well. So that's amazing. That is awesome. Uh, and then you took a two-year hiatus. You said that that was more of retail experience. Uh, yep. Can you share with the audience why that, two, why, why that break after two years serving as director? Well, it was about a year, actually. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted something different. I just, I was like, man, you know, maybe I had a couple friends who worked in management with them, and I was looking to go into their manager training program. Mm-hmm. But then after I worked as what they called the receiver, kind of like I handled all the freight behind the scenes and things like that, just dealing with some of the things that they dealt with. And, you know, what, what you soon realize that retail is a, you know, seven day a week job, you know, it's, you know, you work, you know, I worked at black Friday. I worked, you know, those other different days. And oh my like, gosh. You know, you know, you work those day. Now I didn't have to work Saturdays and Sundays a lot, mm. uh, but you know, you had different things you had to take care of. And it just, it was one of the things I'm like, this really isn't for me. I can do better than this. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I realized then I wasn't going to go to the trainee program. And so I just then said, well, I'll start looking for other positions. And so, um, so yeah, that's, you know, a lot of good people, a lot. I mean, you, you still rely on a lot of customer service, which is something that I learned a lot about, yeah. you know, cause that's and that's something you use now too with Upper Bound or anybody as far as is customer service and being nice and things of that nature and trying to ask the right questions. Absolutely, I think uh, even retail positions, as you were saying, they bring a lot of value to how we approach our job, our professional jobs, and and what we yeah. carry forward. Um, yeah. And I, I think this is an excellent segue question uh, because I was going to ask you uh, what keeps you bringing back to the same job, but actually, what brought you back to Trio? Uh, it was something I knew. I mean, it was something I, I, I was already familiar with it. And, um, you know, at that, by that time I had, my son was born. So it, that mm-hmm. was also kind of a, you know, we, we, we were like, well, let, you know, trying to get back to where it's a full-time position that was something I knew and something, you know, I wouldn't say easy, but sure. I already knew it. So, yeah. you know, you fell right into it. And then I was somewhat, you know, I, Stephenville or Weatherford is only about 55 miles. So I was somewhat familiar with the area. So mm-hmm. that kind of helped as well. So, you know, and then uh, the, the, the lady at the time, the talent search director was the one who kind of let me know about it. Cause we had, you know, we were friends. And so she's like, Hey, this position's open. You should apply. And so, 
and then I did and it, you know, went by pretty quick. That is awesome. So that's what drew you back is the ability to know the program already inside and out. You had the experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you came to Weatherford uh, with that experience. What, uh, what challenges or what new things did you expect with, uh, with, with your, with your new college? Well, well, one, this is a community college. So that was, first of all, that's different. You go from a four year to a two year, um, you know, at Tarleton, we were the only trio program on campus. So there were no other trio programs at the time on campus. So uh -huh. coming here, there was two other, there was already an SSS and a talent search. So mm -hmm. you automatically had a bigger group here, which is, which was cool. So you could talk to people and all those kind of things. Yeah. Um, you know, we at the time served 10 high schools. So luckily nice. one of them was a, yeah. Wow. Like, yeah. Um, you know, and I, I took it, I looked at it as where, you know, when I got here, I kind of, you know, they talk about the SWOT analysis, you know, you kind of want to see what's good and what's bad. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I, I also came in and played the whole dumb thing. Like I didn't, I, I don't know what the director before me, you know, uh, I don't know what your relationship was like, but how yeah. about we start over with me? Yeah. Um, so that was me going and visiting the schools. That was me talking to the other trio staff. That was me making some, uh, making some, uh, acquaintances for different people on campus okay so um you know i soon learned that you know there were some issues with how the students acted and, and then how things were run as far as how they operated and not they were they weren't illegal let me restate that so in case <laughs> okay were, clarify was, for the audience yeah there was nothing like illegal wise but there was yeah. cases where you know how they distributed stipends how they oh did, i see you know, you know, how the summer program was run, what was expected, mm -hmm. how Saturdays were, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, plus then what was expected as far as from the school. So like I went and visited each school with each count, those counselors and talked about, okay, how was it done before? And then here's how I'd like to approach it. And, you know, and so we kind of worked out an agreement and it's like, okay, yeah, this is what you want to do. Those types of things. So like, all right. So, and you know, and there was one school that said, you know, there's nothing wrong with you, but the, the previous person before you kind of, you know, left a bad taste in our mouth. So oh, no. we're going to, we're, we're going to not use rebound at the school anymore. And can, so, I mean, can they do that? What can high schools decline, even though it's written in a grant to decline services from a program? At, at the, I mean, I, the way I, 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 I said, okay, you know, I just went okay. with it. I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I really, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to really put you on the spot. My, no, I don't know if that was really my call or not, but I mean, yeah. if I wasn't going to be able to get in and talk to students, then there was no point of us wasting their time or, our, or right. my time. Right. And like I said, I had 10 schools to work with. And so that was a lot of schools already. Up. Yeah. So, yeah. And wow. so th these schools, you know, they range in size from really tiny, like graduating classes of 12, Mm -hmm. to graduating classes of 250. Wow. So it's a big class. And yeah. And so over time though, we've whittled it down because now we only serve four schools. Um, and of course over that time, that's been three, probably three grant cycles now. So things have changed and you know, sure. when, when grants were, you know, things were changing and you had to adhere to whatever. So, you know, we soon realized that you didn't have to travel all over God and tarnation to find kids if you could just right. focus on the four or five good school, schools that you had good relationships with and, and we're getting lots of students out of we just stuck with that absolutely so i'm going to go back to the same question that i asked you jeff and it's going to take a different connotation um okay. so you said earlier that what brings you back to trio is some the familiarity the ability to to work well within that environment but what what makes you passionate about it what what do you like most about working with upper ground um because kids want the kids want to do more i th i feel like when you work with students whether they you know whether they are uh, a freshman in high school or you know since we have sss here we work a lot with some of the we will help out a lot with those students so they could be a 50 year old mother who's come back to school and, and needs mm. help or whatever so i mean the students realize that there's something here that can help them achieve that goal, whatever it might be. That's so, awesome. you know, with upward bound, you know, we asked the students, you apply to this position, you, you know, you're, you want to do this. You don't have to do it. Yeah. It's not required. It's not like 
you know, algebra one that is required. So, right. uh, so, so asking them to fill out an application and complete everything and, and get their parents to buy in, that's the part that, you know, I tell them about and then they, you know, if they apply and, and then they go through the process and, and they make the, they make their spot with upper bound and, you know, you want to be here, you want to do this, you, you know, you know, it's good for you. Uh, mm-hmm. You know that you additionally want to go to college. So, you know, we're the, we're kind of the way makers that help show you the way. Absolutely. Um, so it's for me, that's a lot of times we're working with trio students is they want to do more. They want to change their, their paths. So, um, so we're just trying to help clear that path for them. Absolutely. I like that. That's very good. Uh, tell us about your program at Weatherford college. Uh, what would you say is unique about uh, WC trio upward bound? Um, I think we're, I think we're really good at finding students who want to get, uh, to, to move on as far as to the four year university, Mm -hmm. but we, we have a good mix of small rural towns. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's probably something that's not as, you know, there's a lot of upper bounds that are based out of inner city or urban areas. And so they have no problem with finding lots of, you know, kids and, you know, yeah. we have kids who come from small rural areas and that we try to expose them to the urban areas. And so yeah. um, that I think is, makes us a little bit more unique there. You know, there's not as many rural based programs in trio than there are, you know, cause you know, look at where the universities and colleges are a lot of times they're in bigger, you know, you're in a city that has a lot, you know, has a lot of people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, while you're not as large as say New York city, but you know, there's a lot more opportunity there. And so being on a community college, we, we kind of have the luxury of, of kind of running, running our summer. We're really the only people on campus in the summer as far as in the dorms. There, you know, there's a lot of opportunity that our kids can get to use the facilities just like a college kid would, but not have to wait on a college kid or, or you know, something like that. So right. it gives them a chance to be something to kind of, you know, use those things. And a lot of that comes from the relationships that we've established as far as on our campus with people. So, um, you know, to be able to, to attend games, to attend, uh, to do things during the summer on campus. And they're the ones that, you know, Hey, just, you know, we tell them, look, the cafeteria is open because of y'all. So you know, yeah. take advantage of it, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, you know, we've, we've had a lot of students come through our doors and we have a lot who will stay here at Weatherford college, but we also have kids who, who go, you know, have gone far and wide. So, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about the type of experience a student would go through, through your program? What, what uh, type of environment do they walk into? What type of um, community are, are they going into when they sign up for your program? Um, we, we try to, we call it a family environment. So, you know, we, we call, we say that you're part of the upper bound family. So a student gets recruited. We recruit in the fall. So we recruit, you know, September, October, then have interviews. And we generally have, have, made our selections and have our students uh, in orientation by the end of November. And then their first real meeting as a, as a student is December. So during that time, we've gotten to know them a little bit. Then that way we have all the spring normally to get to know the kids a little bit better as far as on Saturdays and in the schools and stuff like that. COVID kind of made a few things different this year. <laughs> it, did, it sure did. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, you know, so then, you know, we, we tell them, we, and we're, we're up, we're up front and honest with them, you know, like, you know, the students, they, we see them and we see you during the year, but the summer is when they want to be here because they get to live on campus. Yeah. We're, we're a residential program. So, and, and, uh, our college has some really uh, way nicer dorms than I ever lived in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a four bedroom, two baths, you know, apartment, wow. solid yeah. dorm. So nice. yeah, you get your... So for some that's of these really kids, it's their first time to have their own room. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, you know, so that's, that's huge in a lot of people's worlds for, for Absolutely. them. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, we have that going on. And so it's, it's really, uh, but we tell them it's a family atmosphere, you know, and we also say you don't always get along with everyone in your family. Mm-hmm, that's so true. You have to learn how to communicate. You have to learn how to put in, uh, put in some time to get to know people or you have to at least be able to work with them. And that's, you know, cause I always say, well, you know, you always have that crazy uncle who your parents are like, don't talk to him or something like that. And so, right. yeah. So but, you're, it sounds like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. 
No, we just we just want to have we try to make it a family style. You know, we eat together. We you know we we try to do things as much together as groups, and so um, you know, so yeah, we you know we established some pretty good relationships that you know these kids are with us for three or four years. So yeah, so it really sounds like you've done a lot of work with these students to help not only promote a community but encourage them to pursue higher education, um, mm-hmm. and in this type of advocacy it sounds like you must be doing a lot of advocate work as well outside of upper ground. Uh, as far as advocacy, I mean, I've been involved with trio and with, uh, with, you know, serves our state and region and our national uh, associations on the different boards. And then with advocacy, you know, you're obviously, you're, you're, I wouldn't say you're pleading, but you're making people aware of what you're doing, what your program mm-hmm. does. Not necessarily, not even just necessarily as far as with government and policy, it's, just here on campus sometimes is like, look, you know, here's what we're doing. And, um, you know, which has allowed us to do things, allowed us to get along with a lot of people on campus. And, you know, that's kind of how sometimes we get our teachers or that's how we get our, our, our RAs or whatever, because we're involved in other places too. So that they get to, uh, they get to see us and know us. Yeah. So you were talking a little bit about earlier about regional and state associations. Uh, what does state or regional association are you affiliated with? So our, um, so living in Texas, we're a part of Texas Trio. It's formerly known as TASA, uh, but now we're Texas Trio. Mm-hmm. So I served as uh, president for that organization. I'd have to find my, I don't remember, 2008, 2000, somewhere in there. Uh, then with that, you also serve on the regional association with SWASAP, Southwest Association of Student Assistance Programs. And so that is Texas and the four surrounding states as far as that's the trio programs in those states. Um, and I served as president for that group as well. Wow. And those are three-year terms. So you get to be president for – I was president for Texas for three years, president-elect, pre- president, and past president, and the same thing for SWASAP. And with SWASAP, you also serve then on the COE board, which is a national – our right. national advocacy organization. So mm-hmm. and with COE, you, you, you are on that – that board for three years and then if you want to you can run for their organ their offices which is uh, treasurer secretary and then of course board chair wow um yeah so uh i was their treasurer for three years Uh um and so uh so i was sat so i was on the celia board for i guess for six years total so uh and and, you know when you move up to different levels you have to learn how to work with other people because there are people who are working with upper bounds just like you, but then there's also the other programs and, right. you know, they come from different backgrounds and settings. Cause I think sometimes when you work at a university setting, you have a lot more rules and regulations and a little more stipulations sometimes that you have to follow because that's the policy. Whereas mm-hmm. in a community college, you don't have as much policy sometimes, or sometimes you're, you don't have to do as many pages and triplicate to get, get access or whatever. So. Yeah. It just sounds like you were doing a lot of work in a short amount of time, uh, especially with SWASAP, Texas Association, or the uh, Texas Trio, and then uh, going up to COE and serving in that board. So that must have been a lot of work. Really falls outside of the purview of your job description, no? Uh, Yeah, you did a lot of weekend and late night stuff, and then you kind of managed as much as you could. Um, You know, and that was something when I ran for state board, for the state board, uh, um, I asked my staff, I'm like, is this okay? Cause I don't want, you know, if you say no, then I won't run. Mm-hmm. So, and that was the same kind of thing when I went to it for regional too. So, uh, and then with COE, COE wasn't as, I won't say it wasn't as hard. There's a lot more meetings virtually and a lot more phone calls, but mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, you know, it, it usually worked out that you could do it because your time uh, it worked as far as time-wise, I guess you might say. But, yeah, there's a lot more outside stuff you had to do, wow. um, you know, and it just you just made it work. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't – it's by far not a glorious sometimes position, but, it's, you know, it's something that you, you have to do and you have to, you know, and, and, and I can tell you that your friendships and the, and the relationships you build on these things is, has helped out a lot more professionally. Um because you're able to spend time with some of these people that you're like, you bounce ideas off of and things of that nature as well. True. Very true. You realize that some things that work in Texas may not work in Pennsylvania or wherever you might be. 
That's true. I, I think it has uh, this this potential to widen the scope of a person's perception of how things may work, as you were saying, and just to echo your point. Um, but what what was the most important lesson that you've learned working with these organizations? Uh, you have to have some empathy and you have to have some understanding. You also have to be, you have to communicate. So I think that that's a big deal. And you, you've got to realize you're not, you're not leading your, it's not about you. It's about helping and leading the others in this organization. Right. Um, you know, and that's, that's something that I learned that, you know, this is not just about, this is not just about Jeff doing something. It's about helping students. And it's also about helping professionals provide something for those students. Absolutely. I like that. Um, so you, we now know that you've played a large role in post-secondary education, especially in TRIO. What direction do you hope to see for TRIO programs nationally or even lo- uh, locally or, or statewide? You know, I'd love to see TRIO continue to get, I, I, I really wish there was a way that you could put a TRIO program on every campus out there. Oh, that would be nice. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and not, you know, obviously at community college, McNair Scholars isn't going to be one on us, but, you know, to where we could, if you could have a TRIO program, and, and, you know, if it works for your school, you should have at least, you know, one or two or three or four or five, whatever it might be. Um, but, you know, there's still lots of areas in Texas and anywhere else that there's not TRIO programs because they're not serving, you know, you're at, the school isn't being served right. um, or that area. So, you know, there's pockets in Texas that's like, well, where's the closest TRIO program? Yeah. And, you know, and it's hard to, hard to, you know, hard to figure that out. Absolutely. So Jeff, TRIO was born out of the civil rights era, as you know, and that era demanded a lot of justice, equity, and equal access. What more can be done by institutions to create those paths for success? Uh, I think for some of it is, for some schools, they do a really good job of opening doors for, uh, for some people, for for different uh, groups, different people. Uh, and it's not just trio. You've got to, you know, there's, you know, there's not enough money uh, out there to help all trio eligible students, in my opinion. Uh, so, but some schools have figured out, Hey, we have first generation programs or we have programs for certain uh, groups of people that fit in certain areas, whether it be ethnic or social or, or whatever. But um, you know, there's a lot of education that still is, it's still a foreign concept to some people. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. think that's part of it is that, you know, and that's also being having some equality as far as you, you know, cause uh, you know, for me, for, for, I see it now, you know, we have a high school that their counselor is also their assistant principal. And it's also their person who runs the lunchroom. It's also their person who that's true. does yeah. a lot of things. So whereas I go down the road and I look at this school over here that, they have four counselors and they're able to at least see all their students. And they also have a tremendous dual enrollment program and those types of things. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's one of those things that there, there's not as much, there's the kids come into college without an equal footing sometimes. Yeah. Cause sometimes you're valedictorian of your class and everyone's, Oh, she's so smart, but she can barely be college eligible with a, with a standardized test. Yeah. So there's somewhere we're dropping the ball on something. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think, so, you know, providing that education is a big thing. Absolutely. Agreed. Um, so, Jeff, as we wrap up the podcast, what do you see for yourself? Uh, do you still see yourself working to, for TRIO in the next 10 years or 10 years from now? You know, I don't know. Um, just the other day, I was kind of investigating like a doctoral, doctoral program. I, I've talked about doing it for a long time, but yet uh-huh. I'm, still, I'm still not. Um, <laughs> You know, I'd love to work in some type of, I'd love to work like my boss's job, who she oversees advising and trio and a couple other things. Oh, that would be amazing. I'd probably, I'd probably lean more towards working on admissions and enrollment management than say the advising part. Um, Because I I really, um, I had some students who, um, some high achieving students a couple of years ago that really like, kind of challenged me as far as admissions wise and really got me interested in the whole admissions aspect Uh um, because that was opened a lot of doors as far as allowed me to see that there's a lot of schools out there that really want our kids, but we have to get them to want to go there. Absolutely. Like I'm talking about these selective, these colleges. So, 
um, you know, schools like Stanford and, and Brown and those schools. And so um, to try to get our kids to think, so I really kind of got into the whole admissions and enrollment management. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, that's one thing that I would like to do, uh, whether or not that's here or where, but, you know, I also know that if I were to be able to attain a doctorate, that opens a lot more doors too than just uh, just TRIO where you could oversee right. TRIO and numerous other programs or maybe establish something new. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a really, uh, sounds like you kind of have this vision and, and a managerial experience to, to do that sort of thing. So I can definitely yeah. see that for you. I mean, my other, you know, dream goal would be like to be running an athletics advising department, oh, you know, where, that would be cool. you know, if you worked, you know, if you can manage all the athletics advising, so you get the best of sports, but yet you get the education part too. Right on. So, well, Jeff, it has been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I want to say thank you for sharing your insights and your experiences with us. It's been truly an honor to, to, to have you on the podcast. Hey, anytime, Juan. Thank you so much. That was Jeff, the director for the Weatherford College Trio Upper Bound Program. Uh, it was an honor to have you on, Jeff. Thank you for all that you do. All right. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Are you a participant, alum, or staff of a TRIO program? Do you want your program highlighted? You or your program could be featured in an upcoming episode of Let's Talk TRIO. Get a hold of us by going to our Facebook page or Instagram and send us a direct message. Search for Let's Talk TRIO. We want to get your story to the public. What a wonderful interview with Jeff Calden, director of the Trio Perbound program at Weatherford College. It was really good to, again, sit down with Jeff, and he was talking about advocating at various national and local levels for trio programs. And just know that that is what's happening with a lot of trio professionals. They they go beyond their job description to continue advocating for their students, their programs, and the programs not only locally but statewide, nationwide. And partner institutions like the Council for Opportunity and Education that continue promoting the TRIO programs, those are essential pillars of support. I want to give a quick thanks to the podcast team, audio engineer, and in-house musician, John Russell, marketing manager and producer, Amelia Castañeda, executive producer and host, Juan Rivas. Honorary members of Let's Talk TRIO include Roderick Chambers, Tony Ho, and Scott Kendall. Remember, you can always donate to Let's Talk Trio via Patreon. We thank you for your support. Thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.